Hello and welcome to EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm your host, Prudence Robertson. Celebrating Dobbs one year out. Hundreds of pro-life Americans were met with small resistance as they celebrated the one-year anniversary of the Dobbs decision that overturned Roe versus Wade in our nation's capital. We bring you there, where we spoke with movement leaders and pro-life students during this 2023 celebration of life. Cultural impact. We speak with Kristen Hawkins, president of Students for Life of America, who tells us how the fight for life has played out on college campuses. Hawkins shares how her group is engaging with young mothers. Their goal is to have one million conversations this coming year to change hearts and minds. New pro-life bills on Capitol Hill. Congresswoman Mary Miller has introduced two pro-life bills. One to ensure that parents are notified should their daughters seek an abortion, and one that demands respect for the remains of aborted children. We met in her office and discussed why protecting babies is personal for this mom and grandmother. Just a few days ago, pro-lifers across the nation celebrated the one-year anniversary of the release of the Dobbs decision, ending Roe v. Wade as the law of the land. And one event in our nation's capital commemorated the day both by looking back at the movement and its heroes and looking forward to the future. It is so beautiful just to see, like, we are in the post-Roe era. This is the pro-life generation. These signs that, like, I grew up bringing to the March for Life with me every single year, it is finally coming true. June 24th marked one year since the fall of Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey, the two Supreme Court decisions which together for 50 years mandated abortion on demand in America. Celebrations on this day began on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C., where Students for Life of America teamed up with a coalition of pro-life organizations to host a rally, the first ever National Celebrate Life Day. Hundreds of people braved the D.C. summer heat and gathered to celebrate this milestone for the movement. Christy Hamrick, the vice president of media and policy at Students for Life, explained the significance of the rally's location. And we wanted it to be at the Lincoln Memorial because the 14th Amendment promises uh, constitutional freedoms for all Americans, and now with Roe gone, we can really take advantage of that promise. So it's exciting to be both at the Lincoln and celebrating the end of a uh, an intellectual travesty that was shoved into our Supreme Court um, and shoved into the Constitution. Pro-life activists, politicos, and lawmakers gave remarks, focusing on next steps for the movement. One of those speakers was Mississippi's Attorney General, Lynn Fitch, who took the Dobbs case to the Supreme Court back in December of 2021. Gosh, what an incredible day today. What a blessed day that God has given us. She shared with us some of the ways Mississippians have ramped up care for mothers and babies since her team won that case, overturning Roe. In Mississippi, we truly engaged. So as soon as the decision came down, we started working on our plan. We call it the Empowerment Project. Uh, not just only for our state, but we hope other states will Adopt it too, because that's truly how we change the hearts and minds of our fellow Americans. The celebrations continued that evening with a gala to commemorate pro-life heroes who shaped the movement early on, including Nellie Gray, the founder of the March for Life, and Pope St. John Paul II. For both pro-life and pro-abortion camps, the anniversary served as a call to action. Pro-abortion activists pointed to the 2024 elections and stressed the need for Congress to enshrine abortion into law. 
So we have a clear job ahead of us, right? It's electing reproductive freedom champions. Over the weekend, President Joe Biden also doubled down on electing pro-abortion lawmakers such as himself, despite his professing the Catholic faith. Court got Roe right 50 years ago. And I believe Congress should restore the protections of Roe v. Wade once and for all. But we need your help. So I'm asking again, are you with us? You're going to get this done? Though many pro-life battles are now being hashed out in the states, pro-life leaders are also calling for federal action. Live Action's Lila Rose was at the Capitol this past week, urging lawmakers to provide equal protection for unborn babies in the law provided by the 14th Amendment. At an event the day before the anniversary of Roe versus Wade's demise, Rose said that ensuring 14th Amendment protections is the new North Star for the movement. This decision in 1973 led to the deaths of over 60 million of our most vulnerable human beings in this country, our brothers and sisters in the womb. And so while we remember their deaths and we mourn them, we also look forward with enthusiasm, with optimism, as we realize that the potential to protect every life in this country, to finally affirm human rights for all, is within reach. The decision in the Dobbs case returned the democratic debate on abortion back to the states, leaving it to state legislatures to enact laws that stop abortion. Thus, the battle continues in the states and in local communities. With exactly half of states in the U.S. enacting strong pro-life laws over this past year, it's clear that the movement faces challenges ahead in achieving a totally pro-life nation. Challenges that go well beyond laws and Supreme Court battles. But Fitch and other leaders are determined and seemingly won't stop until every precious unborn child is guaranteed a chance at life outside the womb. You know, because we ask the justices for the job. We tell them the American people are ready, and we truly are. There's more to our conversation with Attorney General Lynn Fitch. Tune in next week for our full-length interview with her from the Lincoln Memorial. Plus, amid all the celebrations this weekend, I spoke with Lila Rose about Live Action's new North Star, enforcing constitutional personhood protections for unborn babies. That special interview also next week. The activity this weekend from advocates on both sides of the debate proves that abortion is still as contentious a topic as ever before. This is reflected in laws addressing the life issue, with half of states across the U.S. working to ban abortion, while the other half continues their full-throated effort to expand so-called reproductive rights. And abortion seems nowhere near unthinkable in the minds of many Americans, with a new poll from Gallup indicating that more than half of respondents think overturning Roe was a bad move. So where do we go from here? We recently discussed this with Kristen Hawkins, and she had a lot to say about how our nation's young people play a role. Take a look. Joining us now is Kristen Hawkins, president of Students for Life of America. Kristen, thank you so much for being with me. You were at the Supreme Court the moment the decision came down, and you were really the one who announced it to the world. So take me back to that moment. Yeah, it was a true honor um, to be there and to be that one who got to read aloud the decision that uh, the Supreme Court released that 
the, the Constitution does not confer a right to abortion. Roe and Casey are overruled. Um, it, you know, it was a cultivation for me, for my life's work, for 17 years of, since launching Students for Life, since building up this army of 1,400 young people. But I think, you know, the message that I had for all the young people that were out there with us that day celebrating was that that was really just the beginning for this movement, especially for this generation of pro-life activists. Um, you know, we were there standing on the shoulders of giants, of the founders of the pro-life movement, mm -hmm. people like Phyllis Shafley and Jack Wilkie and Dr. Mildred Jefferson, uh, those who didn't live to see the day Roe was reversed, but were instrumental in, in producing that day. But now for this generation, the challenge is what do we do next? How do we fully achieve that that goal of the pro-life movement of making abortion unthinkable and unavailable in our lifetime? How do we, you know, since the fall of Roe, go back to the states and pass laws to protect children and women from the predatory abortion industry? How do we continue to push in Washington, D.C.? You know, what are we doing in our communities to continue to raise awareness of nonviolent resources? This is an really an all-hands-on-deck for the entire movement right now. And there's so many areas where we all need to engage. Yes, and you're right, Christian, or Kristen, I'm sorry. You're right that this is largely about the next generation. The overturn of Roe seems to have made the public debate on abortion more vitriolic than it's ever been. So how was the decision received on college campuses and among young people? Is it reflective of that kind of split in our country right now? You know, absolutely. There's a lot of confusion, and the left has been very good at working with the abortion lobby to create that confusion. You mentioned a poll about from Gallup of Americans, you know, disagree with reversal of Roe. I would ask a very simple question. Tell, ask those Americans to tell us what Roe versus Wade did, because the fact is, and the fact remains, the majority of Americans still don't know the extremism of Roe versus Wade, what it really did in our country. And so we've been having conversations. We started arming our students last spring for this moment to be ready, to uh, be vigilant, be on guard, be ready to do more than ever. And so we hit the ground running this year, having more conversations with a goal uh, that we will reach of uh, having one million conversations with Gen Z, those are in high school and college this year about abortion. So doing more than ever before, but also, you know, combating the vandalism and the violence and the First Amendment free speech attacks that we see. We saw a threefold increase this year, our highest number of incidents since I launched Students for Life, yeah. um, more yeah. than 100. It was, uh, in some of those videos, you know, folks might have seen were at Hunter College with a professor who flipped over the table when we were talking about chemical abortion and then greeted a, uh, a reporter at the door with a machete. Uh, you know, the Antifa attacks on me at uh, Virginia Commonwealth University of threatening me, shutting down the entire event. Um, so, I mean, these attacks continue. The abortion lobby, um, and you have to realize when you're on campuses talking to uh, people about abortion, you have people who have bought into the lies uh, for a very long time about what abortion was. And so there's a lot of fear-mongering and that produces scared people. There's there's also a lot of people, yeah. young people who have chosen abortion. So talking about abortion being a moral wrong or that abortion should never be allowed uh, triggers them and brings up all of those feelings of regret that they have, that icky feeling they have in their gut about their, that abortion decision they made. And so all those feelings 
bubble up to the surface. And we're the ones on that front line, you know, having that conversation, but then also having to deal with, uh, you know, those people who are wounded, those walking wounded and trying to connect them to post-abortive healing resources as fast as soon as possible and building that relationship with those people uh, to, to hear us out about how there is healing, uh, there is forgiveness uh, if they seek it. Sure. Yeah. And you make a good point that the overturn of Roe and the passing of pro-life laws is making students think about this from from a moral perspective more than they ever have before, especially those who have had abortions. I want to get your reaction to a poll in Time magazine, recent poll. It says that access to abortion is impacting where students choose to go to college. It said that out of 12,000 people surveyed, about three-fourths of college students were guided by the state's laws on abortion when it came to staying at their university or leaving. Your thoughts on that? I think it's really interesting because it actually points to something that we've been saying in the pro-life movement for a long time uh, that a lot of people didn't want to hear, is that many people in our country have come to view abortion as a backup birth control method. It's the parachute or get out of jail free card. Uh, and and we, we this is reflective of years and years of conversations and studies we've done with young people about how they view abortion. Where one hand they'll say, I don't like abortion, I wouldn't have an abortion, but on the other hand would say, well, I still think it should be legal. Um, Because what the reality is, is if you're living your life in a way or making decisions um, that could produce a new human being, you know, if you're having, you know, you're engaging in premarital sex on a campus and you're there, you've taken out tens of thousands of dollars in loans to get that college degree, you obviously have a a career goal for yourself, um, they, many people don't like to think about a biological consequence of their decision to engage in sex could be the creation of unique human life. And so I think that's a really interesting poll that you brought up, because I think a lot of people are starting to, for the first time, and this is where we talk about the culture has to change as well as laws, a right. lot of people are starting to realize uh, this isn't just this backup birth control method that you may actually have to to change some decisions you're making. If you're sleeping with a man or if you're sleeping with a girl and you don't see an 18-year-long potential parental relationship with that partner, um, maybe you shouldn't be engaging in those behaviors to begin with. Mm, Yeah, it's making people think twice. And Kristen, talk to me about what young people in our movement are doing on the culture side of this. What are Students for Life, uh, you know, students on campuses doing? You know, we're delivering diapers and baby formula and literally going door to door with wagons this summer at Students for Life in key neighborhoods surrounding abortion facilities, helping pregnant women and families in crisis through our Standing With You initiative. We're also engaging politically in primary elections, uh, educating voters well before next year about where candidates stand. Because we, to be quite honest with you, and you know this, Prudence, we've had a lot of political leaders for a long time who've said that they were pro-life. But then this year, when they were you know, at the state house or in Washington, D.C., and a chance to be pro-life and vote came up, they failed to do that. And so we have a lot of voter education that needs to go on about those who aren't really that courageous in their pro-life beliefs and why they probably need to step aside at this point. Um, we're going to be having conversations online and then at Christian music festivals with young Christians. So it's it's very much more of the same of what we were doing before Roe versus Wade was reversed, but it's just amplified a hundredfold. Mm. 
Well, that is so exciting. And we're so grateful for all the work that you've done for many, many years to get us to this moment. Uh, we'll continue to track everything that Students for Life is doing in the year ahead. Kristen Hawkins, Students for Life of America, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Keep praying for us. Of course, will do. Coming up, Congresswoman Mary Miller of Illinois tells us about two pro-life bills she has just introduced in the House of Representatives. Plus, we speak with author Carrie Gruss about where the modern feminist movement went wrong and how we can look to Mary to heal our culture. This, after the break. When we invest in our people, we strengthen the middle class, we see the economy grow, that benefits all Americans. That's the American dream. Biden unveils his economic plan in Chicago this week, saying he wants to grow the economy from the middle out and the bottom up. The speech comes as Biden ramps up his campaign for another term in the White House, despite record low approval ratings in recent months. Welcome back to EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. President Biden campaigns in Chicago, one of the nation's economic hubs, just after a weekend of stumping for abortion. As he claims that he is, quote, investing in Americans, his administration has made moves that many call anti-family, from his support of abortion to his calls for access to so-called gender-affirming care. Other lawmakers on the Hill are also pushing a pro-abortion agenda and citing their Catholic faith as the source of their work. Connecticut Congresswoman Rosa DeLauro, along with 30 other lawmakers who claim to be Catholic, including former Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi, just released a statement on the anniversary of Dobbs, citing Pope St. John Paul II as their inspiration. DeLauro says, quote, the fundamental tenets of our Catholic faith, social justice, conscience, and religious freedom compel us to defend a woman's right to access abortion. But many lawmakers on Capitol Hill have a different vision for America. We spoke to one of them last week who just introduced new pro-life legislation. I tell people all the time, it's not pro-life versus pro-choice. It's pro-life versus pro-abortion. Congresswoman Mary Miller represents Illinois' 15th district. Inspired by Senator Mike Braun, she just introduced legislation known as the Dignity for Aborted Children Act. Four years ago this September, just across the border of her district in Indiana, the remains of over 2,000 aborted children were found in the home of abortionist Ulrich Klopfer. Miller's bill would require that the remains of abortion children be handled just as any other deceased person. And failure to comply could result in a fine and up to five years in prison. For one thing, we need to honor that that child was created in God's image and dignify the child by having the remains of the child um, disposed of in the same way that we would any child that died. And so we're going to require the abortion providers to do that or they will be um, face civil penalties. She also recently introduced the Parental Notification and Intervention Act. She explained how this bill would protect young girls who might be contemplating abortion. What it's going to do is that providers, when they have a young girl, a minor, that is seeking an abortion, they have to notify the parents and give them four days, allow them four days to intervene. You know, one of the safeguards for our children, they're young, they're easily duped, they don't have life experience. Um, parents are there to protect their children and that's it's a it's sinful and it's evil to go around parents I recently questioned 
three of Joe Biden's cabinet secretaries, the Secretary of Labor, Education, and Health and Human Services, and I can tell you this, that they are going around parents, all of them. When we asked her why these bills are needed now, Miller reflected on the impact of the Supreme Court decision that overturned Roe versus Wade and stressed the importance of continued work to end abortion as the issue is debated in state legislatures. 50 years ago, the Supreme Court failed to honor the most basic right enumerated in the Declaration of Independence, the right to life. And we have a very sad um, stream of death and destruction in the wake. But thankfully, there have been people that have taken up the fight and have continued in that. And that's why we are where we are now. We have a lot of work to do. These bills aren't Miller's only efforts to defend life and family on the Hill. I also recently started the Congressional Family Caucus to stand up for traditional family, you know, a mom and a dad, as ordained by God, raising their children. Um, we need to stand up for the family, which is the foundation of our culture, actually. For Miller, all her pro-life work goes back to her growing family and stressing the value of all human life. Well, we have seven children. Um, they're adults now. I, if I could push the reverse button, I would. Those were the best years of my life. I loved it. And I want to encourage people to enjoy raising their children and to be willing to welcome children. And then now we have 20 grandchildren. Our one daughter, she her sixth baby that she gave birth to has Down syndrome, and he's three. His name's Nathaniel, which means a gift from God. And then our other daughter had two sons of their own, and they had the opportunity to adopt an infant. He was one day old who had Down syndrome. And they named him Theodore. So at first I was like, oh, Theodore. But they call him Teddy Bear. Oh, he's so cute. He's one year old. And um, I hope someday that they could join me and we would have the opportunity to introduce them to the world as the gifts that they really are. While the streets of D.C. were filled with pro-life Americans this weekend, we also saw our fair share of pro-abortion protesters decrying the decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. A self-described women's march took place in the city between Union Station and the U.S. Supreme Court. Other similar events were held across the country. The theme of one event in New York was One Year Without Roe, Take Your Fury Back Into the Streets. One pro-abortion woman who was picketing in front of the Supreme Court said she feels like we live in a, quote, third world country because of the overturn of Roe. We're joined now by Dr. Carrie Gress. She's the editor of Theology of Home and an author. Carrie is also a fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center and a scholar at the Catholic University of America's Institute for Human Ecology. Carrie, thank you so much for joining me today. You have a new book coming out in August. It's called The End of Woman, How Smashing the Patriarchy Has Destroyed Us. And the interesting title to be sure. And the women in these pro-abortion crowds last weekend, they claimed that they're feminists, but we know that their position on abortion wounds women so deeply. So talk to me about how you address that in this new book. Yeah, well, I think it's a it's a huge question. It's one that we've been really grappling with for about 50 years now. But the, the fundamental issue, and feminism really started with this question, was how do we help women, which, of course, is a big question. But the, the, the way they wanted to answer it was by making women a lot more like men than women. Um, and so abortion ends up becoming really just vital and essential for kind of working within that narrative. 
And this is one of the reasons why they fight for abortion so much, because abortion is really what they believe levels the playing field between men and women, mm. allow, you know, frees women up from what's been called the drudgery of, ch of raising children. And um, so it just feels incredibly um, important to them as a movement. And this is why they're, they're fighting so hard for it. Sure, sure. Now, that's, um, you know, creates all kinds of problems across the board when people have that kind of understanding of what abortion is and, and how it what it actually does to our children and our, our families and our homes and our, our general lives. Right. And given that the direction the feminist movement has gone in, do you believe the solution is reinventing that feminist movement or do we need to leave it behind altogether? What's the path forward? Yeah, I think that's a great question and a really challenging one because I there's so many people that have done great work in feminism that I agree with, but I think it's become an incredibly damaged um, term. Nobody really knows what anybody means by it. It's very vague, and I think we're, we're leading people into all kinds of intellectual confusion by continuing to use it, um, especially when you start looking at the roots of it, even the first wave, which was that's something that I cover in my first book that I didn't cover in, in previous books. So I think that that is actually a much healthier way to move forward is to just drop it all together and all the baggage that's associated with it that usually has the form of the occult or free love or this idea of smashing the patriarchy. So um, there's a lot that we're freed from if we we find new language to talk about being pro-woman. Right. Makes a lot of sense. And and Carrie, chants from this weekend's Women's March, so-called Women's March, included things like abortion is freedom. Talk to me about how that's such a mistaken notion of freedom. Right. Well, I, I mean, again, around the 1900s, you had this shift in the rhetoric about motherhood. And it's really remarkable to see how frequently the word drudgery is used. Mm -hmm. And um, we really view it as a kind of enslavement because this is what we've been told for 100 years you know for really 50 years we haven't said anything good about motherhood and so it feels like it's something enslaving when that's what we've been told for so long and that's how we have to be empowered by being free from it um so that's the the general push of it and why we're seeing that rallying cry and and why women you know see this as such an important issue mm -hmm. it's such a tragedy that it's looked at as a burden um and carrie you wrote a book some time ago titled the anti-mary exposed rescuing the culture from toxic femininity and you talked about some of this in that book you explain there that mary is really the antidote to all of the problems that we see with modern feminism. So how can we as women imitate our Blessed Mother in this increasingly anti-Mary, anti-woman culture? Yeah, well, I think the big thing is really to first figure out who she is. I think so many of us think of her or can think of her in very saccharine terms and very superficial terms. Um, but the reality is, is that what she is, she's the mother of God and she's so humble and imitated him. And that's really where we understand how happiness comes about is in the imitation of Christ and the humbling of ourselves and serving others. And, you know, this is the remarkable thing about what we're seeing with feminism is it's not serving others, it's serving self by and large. Um, the focus becomes comes upon ourselves. And we know that's absolutely a recipe for being miserable, you know, being stuck in sort of this narcissistic whirlpool. Um, so Our Lady offers us a way out of that by saying, go to my son and saying, you know, these are the, the virtues and the values that Christianity has espoused for 2,000 years, and there there really have been very few things that have supported and helped women better than the church throughout history. No other religion can claim that um, the way that the Catholic Church has. So I, I think we have all the answers that we need, and it's just a matter of sort of breaking free from the confusion that we've we've been offering women for for 
over 200 years about what it means to be a woman and pro-woman. Right, right. Well, I appreciate that insight so much, and I'm so grateful that you were able to join us this week. Thanks again, Dr. Carrie Gress. Thanks so much for having me. That does it for this edition of EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. Don't forget you can find us at EWTN Pro-Life on all social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, we're there. Or send us a message by emailing ProLifeWeekly at EWTN.com. We love to hear from you. Remember, life is a gift. Your life is a gift. God bless.